thank you all for tuning in, for downloading the show. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. Now, today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. Rather than focusing on one topic or even on just one interview, uh, I'm going to be looking at or responding to a few different questions that came in on a recent poll uh, that I posted on Instagram. Now, if you're not following me on Instagram and you have an account, that is a fantastic way for you to interact. I post who I'm going to be interviewing. I post pictures of the books. I ask questions. I have polls. And this time I said, hey, what questions would you like answered on the show? And a few different questions came in. And so we're actually going to be responding to those because each of them is is not a long answer. And so we're going to be responding to a few of those on the show today. And so that's a great place. So if you have Instagram, you can follow at Ryan Polly three. It's a great resource for you. Now, if you don't have Instagram, you can follow Twitter at Ryan Polly three as well. You can uh, follow on Facebook at facebook.com slash coffeehouse questions. You can send in emails at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. Or you can text in those questions at 714-989-6927. So those are all the places that are great to connect, uh, to ask questions, have your questions answered on the show, and even ask other things. Now, these ones that we're going to be talking about today, a couple of them a little bit more serious, a couple of them a little bit more funny, and so it's going to be a fun show today. Now, one quick announcement uh, that's very exciting before I kind of get into the schedule and then the questions is that if you are listening on 100.1 KGBA, Hey, shout out to you guys. Uh, I'm super excited to say that uh, my show has been on 100.1 KGBA the last two weeks. Uh, it's airing at nine from 9 to 9.30 on Saturday nights. And so that is just really exciting for me to be able to get this show uh, out to more people and to have that platform as well. So if you're listening there, thank you guys so much. Send in uh, your messages. Hey, I'd love to hear from you uh, where you're listening from. And so uh, you can contact me in any of those places I mentioned right before. Uh, let me know that you guys are listening. So that's super exciting. I'm, I'm happy to announce that. Last night, I actually did one of my favorite talks. I was at a church every day for their junior high uh, youth group. Uh, did my atheist role play. And and it's always so much fun going into a group. Uh, I was introduced as an atheist and being able to present a couple reasons why uh, I was not a Christian anymore. My story is that I grew up in a Christian family. I'm not a Christian anymore. And then I opened up to questions and took about 20 to 30 minutes of questions from these students and, and finally finished it off. I tell them I'm a Christian. There's always that reaction, and, and it's interesting hearing how the students respond. But uh, this group of students, it was really cool uh, just how open and honest they were, talking about, uh, man, I, I've kind of had these doubts before, and, and what you're saying made so much sense, and I started to believe it. These are the things that I, I'm glad that they're coming up now. I always say this, would you, would you rather have your students challenge while they're in school, while they're with you, or after they've left the house and they don't have you or someone uh, close to turn to to get these things answered? And so it's always such an encouragement to me to to challenge the students to think deeply, to have them express those doubts and, and the questions that they have, and then to be able to answer and respond to them. So I'm really excited because this weekend I'm going to be joining them for their three-day uh, summer retreat. So I'm speaking Friday night, uh, the talk everyone has to start somewhere, looking at where are they in their Christian walk and how what would it take to get them to deepen their faith. Saturday morning, uh, we're going to look at, is Jesus the only way? Saturday night, uh, if God, why evil? And then Sunday morning, uh, the resurrection, real or real dumb? What does the re- resurrection of Jesus mean to us? And so I'm really excited to spend the weekend with them to continue following up and answering their questions. And, you know, it's just cool. I, I always ask, you know, how how did you feel like you did? Uh, and as far as did you really beat that atheist or did he beat you? And uh, I've always get answers around one to four, like one out of 10 being that we won or four, you know, about the 
biased. And then also, how did you treat the atheist? And, and you know, some kids say, hey, I, I started feeling angry. I was upset. I was defensive. And oftentimes, these are feelings that happen when we don't know how to respond, right? When someone brings an objection against the Christian faith and we don't know what to say, uh, then the only re- thing that we can do is just get upset, get angry. And it's amazing when you know the response, when you can respond, when you can ask good questions, uh, how much more confidence that you gain. And I've seen this in so many students, and it's awesome. And so I had a blast with them last night. Really looking forward to this weekend. Uh, next week, also, I'm going to be back at Hume Lake. I'm speaking all day Wednesday at Hume Lake, giving a talk to the leaders on how relativism undermines their students' faith in Christ. Two talks to the students on intelligent design and is the New Testament reliable? Uh, and then finally, a Q&A in the afternoon. And, and when I was there last week, my Q&A lasted for two and a half hours. From 3.30 to 6, these students stayed asking me questions about world religions and Christianity and ethics and and uh, worldview issues. And so that just is so much fun. And then finally, after Hume Lake, on the 29th of July, I'll be flying out to Salt Lake City to meet a team. Uh, they're doing six days of training uh, with the Maven Immersive Experience. So that is kind of my schedule moving forward. Really excited, kind of full schedule here at the end of July. But I'd love to, uh, I love these events and I'd love to add some more. If you guys are interested, you can find more information at coffeehousequestions.com. And so uh, jumping into our questions that we have today. I'm just going to go in order, not necessarily from hardest to easiest, but uh, the first one really kind of took me back. And so here it is. Isidro, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, wrote in and said, how was Satan able to be in God's presence in the book of Job? Now, immediately reading this, I was like, oh my goodness, how I have no idea. This is a question I've never thought about before. And so it really kind of caused me to take a step back and to begin thinking about it in a different way. And so I started thinking and I go, wow, how was Satan able to be in God's presence before? Because what we often hear the church, and I assume this is where this question is coming from, is that this idea of the God is so holy that he cannot be in the presence of sin, right? That is the reason why we have to be cleansed of our sin to be in the presence of God in all in eternity when we're in heaven. And uh, so how is it that he's able to be in the presence of sin, especially how is Satan able to be in the presence of God? Now, as I began to think about this, I, I started realizing, well, it seems like God throughout scripture is in the presence of sin quite frequently. One, God is, is present everywhere. And so if God is everywhere, he is here on this earth, right? His presence is everywhere. And so sin is in his presence. And so in that sense, God is always in the presence of sin. But then I started thinking of specific examples of uh, the burning bush, of uh, God going into the holy of holies, uh, of God meeting Moses on the top of the mountain, and these different times where God was in the presence of people and people are sinful. And he did it. God showed his back, right? He walked past Moses and and these different times and events where God expressed and, and showed himself to people. Now, were they in his full glory? No, because... Right. It, it's if they were in God's full presence, right, they would not be able to live. I think scripture is clear on that. But there's a way for God to come down and to interact and talk with sinful people for sinful people to be in the presence of God. And so I think in a similar way, it's possible uh, that that is how Satan was in the presence of God. Right. But it's a little bit different because Satan is not a physical being in, in the sense of God coming down in the physical world. 
in that sense, but I think it is possible uh, in the same way that God is in the presence of sinful humans, that God could be in the presence of Satan, the sinful being. Now, what's interesting to think about, and the book of Job doesn't mention this, is we look at the reaction that human beings had being in the presence of God, right? God could be in their presence, but when they were in the presence of God, it was holy ground. They'd take off the sandals. Uh, Moses came out with his face glowing. He had to cover it up. Uh, the priests had to do a lot of rituals and even put bells on their, on their garments in case they died and a rope around their ankle in case they died in God's presence. And how people would respond coming out of the presence of God, that they would just fall on their face. And we see this reaction of humans recognizing the holiness of God and their brokenness, and it just causing them to fall on their face. They would glow in in these sort of different things. And so I wonder, what was it like for Satan? Uh, The Bible doesn't mention what Satan went through in order for him to stand in the presence of God, being a sinful being. And so that would be an interesting question, uh, again, to follow up and and kind of think more deeply on that issue. But I hope that kind of helps to think about this in in maybe a different way, is, is that one day God will restore all of humanity. God will remove evil, and those who trust in him, who've had their sins forgiven, will be in the presence of God. And I think that we will experience his presence more fully. At this moment, I think God is tolerating sin. Uh, He is putting up with it. It's obviously not in his future plans to tolerate it forever. It will be gone and done away with. Uh, But now he tolerates it. He puts up with it. And and for that reason, he can be in the presence of sin. One, he's all present. and so he's always in the presence of sin, but then he has revealed himself. Now, and then finally, I think uh, the person of Jesus, uh, God himself came down in the person of Jesus and walked and dealt with sinful people. And so uh, I think there are a few examples that we can look at in scripture to say, okay, uh, evil can be in God's presence. It does respond very uniquely in that in recognizing its uh, position compared to God's holiness, but God can uh, reveal parts of himself and can communicate uh, with sinful beings in that way. And that doesn't take away from his holiness. And so hopefully there's a couple of thoughts I had as I uh, think through this. And that was a great question. That was something I never thought about before. So it really uh, encouraged me to kind of think about that differently and how God has revealed himself to different people and and read some articles online. So thank you for sending in that question. So uh, moving along, question number two, Jimmy Davis, uh, good friend, um, he wrote in, he said, who's the cute girl in the pic? Now, uh, if you are listening on podcast, you will probably see that I have a new podcast cover photo of me in a coffee shop talking to a young lady with some coffees on the table. That I am happy to say, and I think this is the first time I'm announcing it on the show, uh, that is my fiance, Emily. We got engaged back in April, getting married this fall, and so super excited about that. And so uh, knowing that I was looking at redoing a a cover photo for the podcast and wanting one in a coffee house, uh, answering some questions, sitting down, having a conversation with someone, uh, decided that she would be a great person to sit down uh, to talk to me uh, for the picture. And that was actually, the picture was part of our engagement photo shoot. We went into a coffee shop and took some pictures. And so Yeah, I am engaged. Super exciting to announce that. Uh, And that is who is in my picture. Going along, uh, Michael wrote in on Instagram and he said, what has God taught you this past week? Now, that is a great question. That Man, every time someone asks a question similar to this, it, it causes me, I have to stop and really think and because man there's there so many different ways in which God is teaching uh, and ways I'm learning about God 
and uh, the world around me and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but one that stands out uh, right now is that I think that God is teaching me to listen and teaching me to understand uh, that there's more behind kind of the person, if you could say that, than you see on the surface. And, and this kind of really hit home. Uh, I was up at Hume Lake talking with students and, and these students coming up to me after my talks and saying, hey, my mom is an atheist or my best friend is, is doing witchcraft and, and talking about the, the struggles that these students deal with and realizing that, hey, when I'm standing up in front of a group talking, I don't know the stories of each person. I don't know what they're going through, what they have gone through, the questions they have, the doubts that they have, uh, what kind of causes them to be the way that they are. And this is something that I'm frequently reminded of when teaching is that as a high school teacher, there, there's constantly uh, discipline issues, uh, things that you're having to deal with in the classroom. And oftentimes it, it's so easy to just go, ah, why can't you just pay attention? Why can't you just listen? What, what is the problem here? And when you stop and, and instead of just reacting and, and I pull the student aside, I say, hey, what's going on? It's uh, shocking uh, the times that they say, man, this just happened or my family issue or my parents are about to go through a divorce or these, these things that they are struggling with that cause them to act in certain ways. And, and so I think, man, recently uh, through all my years teaching, but even again this week, just reminded of, of trying to understand, look, I don't know what this person is going through. I don't know their history. I don't know uh, their family situation. I don't know where they're coming from or even what religion they hold to, if they're a Christian or not. Uh, and so recognizing, look, when I am speaking, I need to uh, speak with clarity. I need to speak with compassion. I'm reminded even of a student asked me up at Hume about Catholicism, and I was responding. Uh, and then come to find out uh, afterwards, uh, one student came up and said, or uh, raised her hand and said, hey, I'm a Catholic. Uh, you know, it's how am I going to speak about Catholics uh, not knowing if there's a Catholic sitting there and listening uh, and recognizing, wow, we need to treat all situations with care and compassion because we don't understand and we don't know the background of every single person. Um, and so the, the jokes that sometimes we often make about other religions or atheism or uh, uh, behaviors that people have, um, we really need to be careful and recognize that this is not probably appropriate uh, that, to make those sort of things. And so I think God's really been teaching me uh, to stop, to listen, to ask questions, to try to understand where the person is coming from uh, before I respond. And, and that is so hard to to do that, to listen well, to understand their feelings and emotions and, and their beliefs and their background and everything. Uh, but if I had to kind of pick one thing that God is teaching me this week, I think that's one that has kind of resurfaced uh, in understanding, hey, get to know the person. Uh, again, with apologetics, it's so easy to just kind of destroy the argument, but to get to know the person, to understand, hey, what is causing you to ask this question? I think that is obvious, uh, or that's a big one when it comes to the problem of evil. If the student says, hey, why does God let bad things happen to, to good people? Or why does a good God allow for pain and suffering? Um, it's probably not the right answer to immediately go into the intellectual problem of evil and defending it, of, of why God would allow these things to take place. Uh, instead, um, as I've learned from uh, one of my mentors, uh, Sean McDowell, uh, to ask the question, of all the questions you could ask God, why that one? Is there something, and, and the reason is, is, is there something that in your life, that, that, that some traumatic event that just took place as to why you're asking this, trying to understand why would God allow maybe a parent to die or, or something like that? 
Or is it that you just watched a movie and you're trying to figure out the intellectual problem of evil? Really understanding the person's situation and what where they're coming from uh, is so important. And so, uh, yeah, learning to listen, I think, is one thing that God has taught me uh, this past week. Destiny wrote in a next question, uh, and she said, would you live internationally again, given the chance? Now, Destiny, I met actually while living internationally. Uh, we both uh, were at language school in Guatemala together. Um, and then I then went on. If you didn't know, I went on to live in the Dominican Republic for four years. And so her question, would I live internationally again, given the chance? Um, that is a difficult question because uh, let me put it this way. When I was living internationally, I felt 100% without a doubt called by God to be there. Um, I don't know how to explain that really. Uh, it's I'd never heard a voice. God never said, you need to be here or uh, anything like that. But I just felt such a peace and just an assurance that while I was there, that is where I was supposed to be. Uh, the times that I tried to come back to the United States and leave, uh, it didn't work out. I applied for jobs. I didn't get the jobs, all that kind of stuff. It just never worked out. Uh, and I just realized and continually was reminded this is where I'm supposed to be. And so Kind of my prayer in the time I was uh, getting ready to leave uh, the Dominican Republic or my time was kind of coming to an end was, God, I just pray that that same kind of assurance would, would be with me, that that I would just have that feeling and just know that, look, I, I, I've prayed about this. I've sought wisdom. I've sought advice from uh, mentors. And uh, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to believe that that is your will, that that, that is a decision that is guided by you. And so uh, as my time was coming to an end in the, in the Dominican Republic, I just felt that overwhelming sense of you're done here. Um, your time has come to an end. I'm going to move you on to something else. And again, I didn't hear the voice, but as I continue to pray and make decisions, that's just that feeling that I had. And the way that God has opened up doors in California has blown me away of how I got my job. It's a story maybe I go into another time uh, of, of the connections that I have made, the way that I finished uh, the degree uh, at Biola and all the different things that are going on. I have that same assurance now uh, that I had back then of this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I now have my fiance here. And I'm living a life in friends and church community and, and all that sort of stuff. I just know this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And so to think uh, right now uh, about leaving this and moving overseas seems absolutely crazy. And I would say, no, I would not do that because I just know this is where God has called me. However, I would say, would I live internationally again? Yes, if that is where God is calling me. If there comes a point in a time where I just, through prayer, through guidance and all that kind of stuff, and that I just have this, man, I just, I think I'm done here and uh, an opportunity comes up somewhere else. And, uh, and I obviously at that point, pray about it, talk to at that point, my wife about it to understand what's going on. Uh, then I would say, yeah, uh, I definitely would live overseas. It was an incredible experience. I loved every moment of it. There are obviously difficulties, but I learned so much. God shaped me and grew me in incredible ways. The relationships I built, I loved it. And so I definitely would do it again if that is where God is calling me. So yes, I would live overseas given the chance. Uh, no, I would not right now because I know this is where I'm supposed to be, but maybe at some point in the future. There's all the questions that came in on Instagram, so I encourage you, uh, if you have personal or apologetic questions, you can always send those in. I'd love to discuss those on the show. Now, in our last little bit of time together, what I want to do is, is I want to provide a, a way of thinking about some of the issues in our culture today uh, that I think is very helpful, and that is this. 
most of the issues uh, that come up uh, kind of can boil down to one big question. And if we can answer that one big question, it helps us really frame the issue that's at hand and to think about it in a different way. So, for example, uh, when it comes to the abortion debate, the question that we should be asking is, what is the unborn? What is the unborn. If the unborn is not a human being with rights and value and dignity, then do whatever you want with it. Uh, if the unborn is a human being with rights, value, dignity, then you can't do whatever you want with the unborn. It's like Greg Kokel says, if the unborn is not a human being, no justification for abortion is necessary. However, if the unborn is a human being, no justification for abortion is adequate. All right, that is what it comes down to. And so all these arguments that are presented, like uh, the family maybe cannot f afford the child. Well, again, if this is, we're talking about a human being here, uh, you cannot kill human beings just because you can't afford them. Uh, it, when you talk about, well, it's just not a good time. I'm in school right now. Well, again, if you're talking about a human being, not being a good time is not a reason to kill a human being. That is wrong. However, if it's not a human, if it is just a clump of cells like your hair or your fingernails or something, we have no problem whatsoever in removing those cells uh, and taking them out. And no one has issues with that. And so that would be the question that it comes to for that. And when it comes to unborn, we have to ask the question, what is the unborn. What is it? Is it human or is it not? Now, I think, and I've done shows before this on this before, that the overwhelming evidence shows that the unborn is a human being. There's nothing different about the person you are now and the embryo that you once were that would justify killing you then uh, and not now. And, and so that is the question that comes down to. Now, for the topic of marriage, when we are looking at marriage in our culture, when it comes to same-sex marriage and polyamory and polygamy and all this kind of stuff, there is a question that it boils down to when we talk about marriage. And the question is this, and this is the way that I heard it put from Sean McDowell, is marriage like gravity or like monopoly? And here's the whole point. Is marriage something we discover or something that we have created? This is the big difference. If marriage is something that we have discovered like gravity, then we cannot change it. That is the way it is, whether we like it or not. Gravity is not being changed. It's always there. And if it's like Monopoly, if marriage is something that we've created, then we can do whatever we want. We can make the rules. And, and so that is the question that it comes down to with marriage. Is marriage something that is a part of our universe, a part of the created order uh, by God that we have discovered that it is one man and one woman for one lifetime uh, in that exclusive union? Or is it like a game that simply human beings have created? It's a social construct and we can make it be whatever we want. Now, I think and I would argue that gra that marriage is like gravity, that marriage is something that we have dis discovered, that God, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he took man and woman, he made them one, that this is an idea that has been part of our culture from the very beginning, that God is created created, we have discovered, and then so we cannot change. Now, this kind of comes up uh, in an article that popped up online uh, back in May titled Brazilian soccer legend wants to marry his two girlfriends at the same time, but is it even legal? And it's talking uh, about this, this soccer legend, Ronaldo, 
Now, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I am not a soccer fan. The World Cup just ended. I didn't even watch a single game. Hopefully, I don't lose any listeners from that. Uh, but I think it was Ronaldo. And so this article is describing of how he has uh, two fiancés and how he's planning to marry them, even though uh, polygamy is not legal in Brazil. Now, what's interesting is that this article ends uh, by some professors and some uh, trained professionals uh, giving their thoughts. And so, uh, for example, uh, here at the end of the article, it says, look, there are, there are typically, and this is quote, there are typically few models to turn to for inspiration and possible answers and few resources, including professional resources that can provide sound information, guidance, advice, and strategy. This unfortunate fact may be considered one of the most significant challenges for those in polyamorous relationships, end quote. And so uh, here is Joseph Silona, um, a licensed clinical psychologist uh, based out of Manhattan, talking about, look, like there, there aren't a lot of resources. And so this makes it a little bit difficult. Uh, this article continues on. It says there are also three people's needs to consider in this kind of relationship, which can be challenging. Uh, Steven Snyder, MD, author of the book Love Worth Making, tells Yahoo Lifestyle this ordinarily requires a lot of time and energy. And very few people have that kind of time and energy, he says, end quote. And so here's this idea of these two uh, professionals saying, look, there aren't a lot of resources. Uh, there's three people that you have to love and the time that you have to put in. And so this makes uh, polygamist or polyamorous relationships much more difficult. And so, hey, maybe it's not the wisest thing uh, or just, hey, just so you know, this is going to be harder. Uh, as in, as if we can just do whatever we want as long as we can make it work. And that's what this article kind of ends with saying. That's what I want to talk about. It goes on to say, this doesn't mean that polyamory doesn't create valid relationships. Ultimately, polyamory is as legitimate a relationship structure as any other, but it's a different mindset than what is traditional in most cultures. And that is a quote from licensed uh, clinical psychologist Romani Dervasola. And uh, this, this person authored, um, should I stay or should I go? And this is what this person is saying. He says, look, ultimately, Dervisola says, quote, I'm a big believer. And if it works for them, then no judgment whatsoever. Right. And, and I want to stop in the last little bit of the show that we have. And I want to think about this idea that this is as legitimate a relationship structure as any other. It just is a different mindset. This comes back. Is it as legitimate as any other? Well, if we're talking about Monopoly, then yeah, you can create the game rules however you want. Some families have this. Some families play like this, right? House rules. You get to play how you want to play. And yeah, maybe some person's rules make it a little bit more difficult than another person's rules. Maybe you have to have a different mindset when playing Monopoly with one family than you would in another family, right? There's different ways that people play, but hey, Look, if it works for you, then I'm not going to judge you. You play Monopoly how you want to play, if that's how you like it, right? That makes sense within that. But look at this and see how this is presupposing that answer to the question. When we're asking the question, is marriage more like Monopoly or like gravity? This is just presupposing it's like Monopoly. Look, there aren't as many rules, right? The rule book is not complete. So you kind of got to make up the rule book as you go. And that's going to be difficult. Uh, it's just, hey, if it works for you, I'm not going to judge that sort of thing. But we have to take that step back and not say, well, no, hold on a second. You're assuming it's just created by us and we can make it however we want. But is that the way it is? Or is marriage like gravity? Has marriage been designed and put into our world by God? 
in a way that he created it how it's supposed to be. And then we discover that and that we live according to it, right? In the same way that no one would make these arguments with other um, moral issues when it comes to uh, murder or even uh, think of other sexual things when it comes to marriage, like um, adultery or something. No one says, well, if that works for you, no judgment, right? We understand that these things are wrong. Uh, It doesn't matter what you think. And so we come back to this idea of marriage with the same question. What is marriage? Is it like gravity or is it like monopoly? Is it something that we discover or something that we create? And that answer to that question is going to change everything. So if you have more questions on either maybe the the abortion question or the marriage question, maybe we can talk about that in future podcasts. Contact me at those different places. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, It's been an exciting summer and I'm looking forward to the fall and continuing to produce this show and to hear your guys' thoughts and, and to have your questions come in on future interviews that I have coming up. So thank you all so much for listening. Have an awesome rest of your day. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Ryan Paul. Don't hesitate to follow your love will.